Hello and welcome to Her Ambitious Career, the success podcast for corporate women who want more from their lives and careers. Each week, we share career and leadership strategies to help you set stretching goals, own your value, build visibility and credibility, gain recognition, get paid and confidently take your career to that next level. Whatever your ambition, let's do this thing. Now, here's your host and career success expert, Rebecca Allen. Ladies, welcome on in. I'm absolutely delighted today because I have Sharon Panay with me who is a partner at PwC and a national mental health lead. Welcome on in, Sharon. Hi, Rebecca. Really happy to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm really looking forward to talking about this topic. We're going to be talking about how to look after yourself, how to look after your mental health when you're a high flyer and you're basically operating in a very sort of um, fast-paced, fast-moving environment, as so many of us find ourselves. Um, and Sharon's the absolute expert on this. So thank you, Sharon, for your time. Um, I wonder, Sharon, if you could give us a bit of a background um, in terms of your career history and how you ended up in the role that you're in now at PwC. Yeah, happy to, Rebecca. Um, if I start with education and qualifications, perhaps, I um, grew up in New Zealand. And so I had very big science background and public health and a bit of psychology in there as well, just your usual, you know, double degrees and honours and stuff. Um, but while working for the Ministry of Health in New Zealand, um, I decided to do a PhD. And part of the reason for doing that was um, I was resolved quite early in my career that I was always going to work in health. A real passion and meaning and purpose and value sort of led, um, you know, motivation intrinsic to me. Um, and I always have worked in health. And so with their ability to pay and subsidise for that really early in my career, I was able to do that. Um, and also, um, study while working in a way that both of the things were aiming towards the same deliverable. And so it was a really, uh, I'll say busy time or probably stupid of me to try to do both of those things at the same <laughs> time. But I was young and so I had a whole bunch of energy to dedicate towards that and I was ambitious and so, you know, that was all good. But working sort of government side, which I loved and gave me great exposure into the workings of how does government work, how is policy created, how does legislation kind of feed into that, um, then saw me kind of take a step into the academic area of clinical trials, um, working with an institute for global health. So I was able to then get global exposure around what do health outcomes and social determinants look like in India and Africa versus in Australia and New Zealand, which are developed in quite privileged countries. So that was really interesting. I've also done a ton of work on the ground in grassroots communities. So with Māori and Pacifica and New Zealand and Aboriginal communities in Australia, and what I love about that breath is with the work that I do now in corporate consulting with government, it just means that I'm still able to understand what happens on the ground when big policy decisions are made yes. and what are those unintended consequences that occur. And so I like that because it keeps me honest um, and it keeps it real around, you know, it's very easy to get lost in your bubble and imagine that everyone experiences the same world that you do every day and they don't. It's not true. That's 100% the case. Yeah, I think that's one of my the kind of big kind of insights into this whole world of inclusive, inclusivity and what that looks like is that everybody's having a different experience every single day in the same office, in the same office space. And I think that's something that's really, really under sort of misunderstood. 
um, and underrepresented. And I think it's one of those conversations you kind of consistently need to be having to understand how people are experiencing the day. Um, So let's talk, if we could, um, Sharon, about, um, you know, high flyers, because a lot of the ladies who we work with in our coaching practice are high flying women, they're high achievers, they put an awful lot of pressure on themselves yeah. but often find themselves in organizations where the pressure is high and the kind of culture is sort of asking for those um, high results, deliver fast, deliver quickly whilst juggling 15 things. Yeah. And I would love to um, understand from your perspective, what do you see other kind of consistent challenges that a lot of corporate women are having in terms of their mental well-being, in terms of their mental health in the yeah. corporate space? No, it's a good place to start, Rebecca. And I think for everyone working in a corporate environment, I would say psychological safety is right high up there, fatigue and stress. Um, and the same is true for anyone, as I say, in the workplace, but there's a very specific lens you need to take for women um, and then other co- cohorts as well. So people um, managing disability, people um, who are LGBTQI+, and all of those dis- experiences are quite different in the workplace. And it's great that we can talk about this kind of stuff now. But with psychological safety, for those who don't know what that means, um, it's really the ability to have a safe work environment, um, both physically but also mentally. And mentally and psychologically, it's about the ability to have a conversation, to take risks, to um, put yourself out there and ask questions without fear of repercussion and actually developing and growing cultures like that. You'd assume they exist, but it's few and far between in a corporate culture. And to your point earlier, I think um, you can't make an assumption that in a really large corporate base that everyone is having that same Mm -hmm. cultural experience. They aren't. And so leadership becomes really important in how we have this conversation and managing psychological safety. Um, And then fatigue and stress, which we can talk a a lot about, actually. That's um, There's a lot about learning about yourself, your own personal accountability and control and ability to manage your fatigue and stress. And then there's about what can you control around you and understanding and appreciating your own signs of stress um, early so that you can do something about it before it gets too late or or you start to burn out. Um, And fatigue, look, every time I go to the doctor, they're like, oh, you seem a little bit tired. Let's test your iron. Like, it's not the iron. (laughs) There's a bunch of (laughs) other stuff. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the psychological safety side of things, Sharon, I think that's such an important thing. It's a, it's a word that's being used all over, you know, um, the, the place at the moment. And it is such an important aspect of it. It's one of those things that you would hope was there, like an assumed kind of um, yeah. an assumed kind of option for you. But it's not. And it's like you say, it's still something we're learning about a lot in a corporate space and how we can actually offer that and how we can actually supply that. Because the truth yeah. is, is that, you know, for us to have the balance that we're looking for, for us to be able to say that we're struggling, for us to be able to you know, admit that we need some help, perhaps, you do need to feel, um, you know, safe to actually ask for that without, like you say, fear of repercussion, fear of it going to have an impact on your career somehow down the track. And I think there's still yeah. that ingrained problem, right? There's still that ingrained challenge that we have still in so many of these corporate environments where it's not comfortable to do that so it creates more stress yeah yeah it does a lot of noise and you know you're worrying about that on top of everything else yeah so I mean you know if you've kind of in an environment where you don't genuinely feel safe to have those conversations what are your options you know what would you 
what would you do? Would you sort of suggest that they talk to somebody internally or would you suggest that they get some help externally? What would your suggestion be? Look, the beauty in a corporate setting in particular is that you've got resources and you might not realise the extent to which you have those resources available to you. And so I'm a really big fan of coaching and coaching for different needs. Um, Because if you think about how mental health has been treated in in any kind of employer setting in the past, heavily reliant on employee assistance programs. And all of those traditionally have been about um, treating, you know, treating an issue, an event, an injury, an illness, um, or a diagnosis at at the clinical side of the spectrum. But actually where that needs to evolve to is around a natural coaching model and a coaching model that allows you to ask for help when you need it. Because if we flick from a clinical to a more preventive and early intervention type of focus, that's about managing the natural highs and lows that we all have throughout our lives and in our careers and calling for help where it's getting too much or where you can proactively, where you know performance review time is coming up, where you know you're going to have to have some difficult conversations about promotions. Um, how do you navigate that when you've got a really, um, you know, different individuals that have different motivations and drivers? And so some of that coaching can help to alleviate both your anxiety going into a situation, helping you prepare for how you present and how you're there, but also then you're probably going to have a better outcome because the person who's receiving the information, then you've thought that through, you've thought about what it means to that individual and you'll have a better outcome, you know, in general. That's one example, but there's a a ton of ways you can use coaching, um, conflict management into confrontational situations, into how you um, show up in a meeting if you're really an introvert like I am, you know, how do you have a voice and and prepare for that? Um, And a lot of that you can learn in that sort of one-on-one interaction through a coach. Yes. Okay. That's great advice. I think that's really great advice. And I think obviously noticing something early is fairly important and fairly sort of fundamental in terms of addressing it and not allowing something to sort of fester or get worse, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think recognizing those symptoms is probably part of this process, just becoming consciously aware of how you're actually feeling. And recognizing the feelings rather than sort of pushing them down and hoping they'll go away. What sort of um, what sort of symptoms would you say you know are good ones to look out for? Good ones to um, yeah to acknowledge. Yeah. So maybe if I separate them into two parts, one is the in the moment. You know, how are you feeling in the moment and being conscious of that. Um, so thinking about you know your physiological symptoms, your your heart rate. Um, are you feeling hot? Um, is there kind of this this itchiness, you know, that's crawling all over your body that's wanting to make you either fight or flight, you know, that's a typical response. Um, and, and sitting with that discomfort sometimes because that's okay. But where you're feeling that all the time means you're in a high, mm. um, highly anxious zone. And, you know, there's a lot of cortisol pumping through your body. And so you, a little bit of cortisol is great. A lot of cortisol all the time is not great. And so you don't want to be in that heightened state of emotion all the time because when you are, you can't actually process things rationally. You can't hear, you know, when you're having a conversation, you often come away with a different interpretation because there's an emotional layer of how you filter that knowledge and that information. You know, I've been in situations where um, I've been having heated conversations with colleagues and I got to a point where I, I kind of look at them and go, I don't think you're hearing anything that I'm saying. Like, let's pause and let's take a break and go away, do what we need to do and come back. And even that kind of pause and reflection can be a circuit breaker Mm. to how you process information. Um, And it becomes really important later in your career where 
if you're dealing with complex issues, you're dealing with complex people issues, a lot of that weighs on you. And so actually developing some of those, um, that understanding of your own personal triggers, but also some of those circuit breakers you can put into the mix and how you recognize that interaction, um, it's going to be really useful. Yes. Because I think the thing that happens is when you're in that survival mode that you're describing, mm. when you're in that kind of high, um, you know, high cortisol space consistently, and you kind of start to think that that is actually the norm and that's actually how you need to operate to get the results. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really important, like you say, to take those objective steps back and to look at, okay, what's going on, what's working well here and what's really not working well. Be really honest about what's not working well and how you're feeling about that. And it's deciding that something else needs to change, you know, something needs to shift. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I think circuit breakers are a good way of looking at that. Firstly, recognizing consciously that there's a challenge that you're you're experiencing and acknowledging that. And then, you know, taking a step back and objectively looking at it and taking a break literally from from either a conversation or a situation you're finding yourself in to look at it objectively. I think it's really important because that survival mode that we get stuck in is a exhausting. It's not sustainable Absolutely. and it's not productive either. Yeah. Because you can't see the wood for the trees quite literally, you know, yeah. it's. And I think we need to recognize how we're feeling in those spaces and just be honest that that's not normal and that's not okay. You know, from conversations I've had with clients, Sharon, you know, I've, I've had clients who've um, come with me and they said, but that's just the way it's done here. That's the kind of culture that I operate in. Everybody's operating mm. at this high, high level. You know, it's sort of just expected here. Do you have any thoughts on on that in terms of how can you challenge something when you're in an environment where it's all around you? Yeah. Oh, no, I hear that. And I've, you know, when I first started at PwC where I am, and it was my first time in, in corporate, you know, everything was outside of um, the private sector until that point. It was a real learning curve for me. Like I get that, you know, this is the way things are done. There's a real pace. Um, you want to keep up. You want to do well because you're personally invested. You're ambitious. Um but but it's really hard to push back because you don't kind of know any better and you don't feel like you have the levers to do that. So I completely hear it. Um, look, I, I would say that if you're not well, no one around you is well. And so, you know, there is a very real reality, um, regardless of where you're at in your career about keeping yourself well and being conscious of that. Um, it's really easy to say, you know, set boundaries, um, take the time to exercise, eat well, sleep. There are going to be moments where none of that happens and yes. you just throw it out and kind of deal with it. Um, but if you think about it, you know, the more pressure, it builds like a balloon. And when that balloon, when the capacity is too great, the balloon's going to pop and you don't want to end up falling off a cliff because that's where big changes need to happen and you end up being quite reactive in nature. And for high-performing people, you know, what I've observed, because, because your pace is naturally higher anyway and your threshold for um, high workload, high volume and pace is, is great. And so you tend to run at the problem. You tend to run to solve things. You feel a real um, satisfaction and achievement out of completing all of that. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're often in a corporate environment where that badge around, oh, it was terrible, but we were in the trenches together and now we've come out. Yes. And it's great because you create of honor. Oh, totally, the badge of yes. honour. And I do question sometimes that addiction, you know, like yes. that, that it's enticing, you, you like the energy, but then you're completely washed out and go on holiday with your friends and family and, and you're sick, you know, you have a migraine or you have yes. a cold because your body suddenly stops and it's gone, too much, too much, lady, it's time to dial it back. <laughs> so 
you know, it's about how do you create a balance um, for yourself and knowing how much is too much or when you're kind of reaching a threshold that you do need to pull back, um, trying a few things. So, you know, you could actually set yourself a couple of challenges around this time I'm going to try to do that differently. I'm actually going to take a day of annual leave or I'm going to take half a day and just go for a walk just by myself and listen to a podcast or whatever that looks like. And just test, because I think what you'll find is the world's not going to fall apart. Things continue and and it'll be okay. Um, Just loosen that up a little bit. And a little by little, you might feel braver to try a little bit more next time. And then the cultural element, you know, the how do you change things around you? It's not easy to do, I'll admit, if if your work environment isn't open to that conversation, isn't willing to embrace flexibility and change. Um, And what I would advise, well, the guidance I'd give there is, find your allies. You know, you'll always have people who think a similar way or who view the world in a similar way. Um, You know, I know coming back to work with my first child and second child actually had finding women around me who were juggling families was hard, Um, but you find them, they're there. And then you can test things out and validate things and ask them what they did. Did it make a difference? And some of that just keeps you sane. And I think it it helps um, just make you feel like you're not alone. Yes. And I think that's crucial because I think we can uh, fall into that trap of assuming that, you know, everybody else is delivering everybody else is, you know, at that sort of high level and somehow I'm lacking. And I don't know how human beings always arrive at this sort of conclusion that somehow we're less than, but I think we do, right? We're sort of constantly comparing ourselves to each other and constantly looking at how we're faring compared to what everybody else is doing. And sometimes, like you say, life changes and you have children, for example, and you have to sort of readjust as to what's going on. And I think yeah. it's important, like you say, to find people who are in the same position as you, because then you realize it's not you. It's not actually a thing about you at all. It's about something that human beings go through. And yeah. you have to find some mechanisms to adjust and to to cope. And then you'll get back on track, you know. But I think that finding your people is really, really important. And to know that it's not just you who's having this yeah. experience, because it's never just you. Absolutely. And if you ask, I find, I think you'll find support, you know, and I often, there's a conversation I had with one of my team members a while ago, she'd returned from her first child. And we had a meeting, it was, you know, right on the dot of pickup times from daycare, and she was dialing on constantly. I was like, what are you doing? Why do you keep dialing on? I know that it's raining, and you're trying to get your child in a seatbelt, and you're on the <laughs> phone, and I know what that looks like. So why are you doing it? She said, I, I don't know, I just feel like I'll miss out on information if I don't join in. I said, well, you know, and ask, you could put on the table there is um, you could either change the meeting, so rotate it so that you've got a chance during your work hours to attempt if that's possible and the client's not kind of, you know, setting the tone on that or get, get a buddy to summarise it and then if you need more flavour, you know, give them a call when you can and then, you know, manage it that way. There are yes. always options. Um, yeah. Don't take what's given as the only option. I think that's such good advice. That's such good advice you know, and looking around the problem in a different way and seeing how you can create the same outcome just in a different way. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of different ways to cut a cake, as I yeah, always say. Absolutely. You know, there's not just one way to cut a cake. Yeah. Um, so what would you say, just to finish off, Sharon, like, you know, we talked before about um, when we met previously about teams and how you can leverage your team um, to give you the support that you need and to make sure yeah. that you're actually managing time more effectively and having those boundaries in place and delegating, all those kinds of things. What are your um, what are your thoughts from a mental health perspective and from a well-being perspective around, you know, not 
necessarily trying to do everything yourself and yeah. really leveraging your team? Oh, absolutely. It's a great question. And I think it's um, it, it's something that takes steps change. And so, I, you know, when you've got sometimes your smaller teams, sometimes your larger teams, but I think fundamentally it's about getting everyone on board with the concept of flexibility and what that looks like for different people, because it, it's not a blanket. This is flexible because I choose to work nine to five and nothing else. But you've got to understand the patterns within your team. So who's better in the morning? Who's better at night? And actually it suits some people to be a bit of a night owl because that's where they're really productive. And um, that's about building trust in your team that you're not taking the mickey and creating extra workload, but people are choosing and they're comfortable with that choice, really comfortable with how they're choosing to work. It's not setting hard and fast rules around towing the company line and setting policies. Now, when you and I talked yesterday, Rebecca, I was talking about, you know, the compressed working week five years ago when I came back with my first and, you know, I was working full-time, but doing Monday to Thursday and protecting Friday because I had no childcare. Um, And it worked for my first. It didn't work for my second because there was a hard line policy driven around no compressed working hours. And so kind of questioning some of that and providing cover if you're a more senior person in your team to to challenge some of those um, policies, challenge some of those concepts and and also being brave to ask for forgiveness and just trying a few things. So even if the response is standard and it's, oh, it's policy, we can't do that, we can't change that up, just actually putting yourself out there and going, well, we're going to trial it and we'll let you know how it goes. Um, and asking for forgiveness, because that's how people see you as a leader, stepping in to support them. It builds a lot of trust and loyalty and confidence, but I actually think it builds huge productivity in your team because 100%. then they can start to make better connections and get, oh, Sharon's at the gym between seven and eight. You know, she'll be online at eight and it'll be fine. And then they don't bug you. They don't put meetings in. It's little things like that that build an understanding of not just the work you're trying to do, but the mm. people who are delivering that work. And yes. so it's that real teaming. Yeah, and that's about really respecting people's values and what really mm. genuinely matters to people because, you know, mm. work is just one sort of portion of what we do in a day. And I think the the most effective leaders are those who really genuinely understand the individuals within their teams and their drivers mm. and their aspirations and, like you say, how they work most effectively, but genuinely about understanding what they value and what matters to them and trying to mm. do our absolute utmost to make sure the values are actually met um, rather than compromised. Because I see that so often and that's where the disengagement happens when we just don't yeah. feel like we're being heard and seen and you know what yeah. matters to me is not matters does not matter to you and so I think yeah it's um it's so important I think in in teams that we actually understand one another and know one another and understand yes. what we need to thrive rather than survive perhaps yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sharon thank you so you. much for coming on today no problem I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. And it's, you know, it's it's really nice to have a conversation about practical steps that you can take in something that can feel quite overwhelming and quite emotional. So I really, you know, thank you for your for your practical advice too. No, it's my pleasure. I don't think any of the stuff is easy, but um, some of it can be intuitive. And the more we know about ourselves and, you know, are prepared to sort of challenge the status quo, um, the better. But, but look after yourselves, you know, like if you're not well, no one else around you is well, you know, it's the key sort of takeaway for that I wanted to say. Um, there are lots of ways to do that. Thank you very much. Pleasure.
Thanks so much to Sharon for coming on the show. I'm always so grateful when our guests share really practical, valuable insights that people can actually go out there and apply straight away. And I think Sharon did such a good job in giving us some really good, solid insights that we can practically go and apply. So thank you to Sharon. I really appreciate it. Um, And if you're looking for support in your career, then that's where we come in. We're absolute experts in helping professional corporate women raise their profiles within their companies and get ahead faster in their careers. Whether you're looking to get that next leadership position or whether you're looking to manage a team, then come and chat with us. The first place you might want to go is to go and get one of our free downloads, which is the seven habits of female execs who get promoted. You can get that by going to rebeccasfreegift.com. That's rebeccasfreegift.com. And in there, there are some incredible strategies that, again, you can apply straight away to help you build your profile and build your personal brand. You can also, of course, subscribe to this podcast. Please subscribe and get our podcast. Um, They come out every fortnight now. And um, we'd be delighted to have you here. And please leave reviews also on Apple Podcasts. We love the reviews. They really help other people understand the value that you're going to get from listening into this show. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you super soon. You take care. Look after yourself. It's the most important priority out there. And I'll speak to you really soon. Bye for now.